This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today, I am joined by Peter Moore. Peter is the owner of Shootopia. They have two locations in Ontario, Canada. He's also the owner of Simplifying Entrepreneurship. I'm excited to be joined by him today. Welcome to the show, Peter. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Chris. Really appreciate it. And I'm glad to be here. Excellent. Peter, tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Well, Chris, I've been a lifelong entrepreneur and always have done it since I was basically, I've only ever worked for somebody for about six months of my entire adult life. I've always been an entrepreneur, was before going to university and have been pretty much afterwards. And what I'm doing these days is I've got a couple of shoe stores, as you mentioned, for the last 11 years, since 2010, we've had a shoe-topia and we've added a couple of stores and one has now is no longer and two of them still last. So we are uh, standing with two stores right now. So I, that's the mainstay. That's sort of my main business these days. I've had other businesses along the way and still have other businesses around though that one. And one of them is called Simplifying Entrepreneurship. And with that one, I help entrepreneurs I say transform their worries and wants into wins, you know, work through cutting through the chaos and the frustrations and using frameworks and systems that basically enables them to live the life they want as a business owner. So I work at the shoe stores, but I also am involved a lot these days with entrepreneurs and helping them with their businesses. So lots of stuff on the go always, Chris. Excellent. You mentioned 2010. So you got into the pure retail business in 2010. I did. What did you do before that? Before that, I had service businesses, so very different. I know we talked a little bit about, before we hopped on air, we've talked about the difference between service and retail. And with service, I had a couple of uh, businesses and I usually run a couple of businesses at the same time. So one of them was a bathtub refinishing business and we did bathtub refinishing, kitchen refacing, all sorts of things. We sprayed appliances, you know, changing things from harvest gold to white and, you know, changing oak cabinets to bright white and all of that sort of stuff and countertops. So did a lot of that sort of stuff. I did that since 1994, we bought the franchise and then I sold it in 2009, I guess. Uh, It's still going today, going strong still, that business. And along with that, I ran another business and we had a cleaning business called Sani Service. It was also a franchise at the time. And with that, we bought the business. It was struggling. It had 30 clients when we bought it. And when we sold it in 2009, it had 300. So a lot. we worked for a lot of retailers with that business, Chris. We did a ton of retail. We did Ikea stores. We did Staples Business Depots. We did a lot of different sort of restaurants as well. So a lot of service type businesses. So that's, you know, I was around retail a lot. I've always been sort of uh, loving that. And then uh, I worked as a business broker too. And that's how I got into retail. So I was a business broker, a licensed realtor, basically helping people buy and sell businesses. And that's a good background on who you are and what you're doing. Yeah. And your whole career has been in Canada. It has. Yeah. I've always been in Canada. I spent um, the first sort of 40 years of my life in the Ottawa area and my businesses were in the Ottawa area, which is our nation's capital. And then uh, six or or back in 2010, uh, so 11 years ago, we made the move down to, we're about an hour outside of Toronto right now. So about five, six hours away from the Ottawa areas. 
but always been in Ontario as far as my businesses go. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. Well, typically what we do next is we go to this part of the show called Clear the Air. I've got three questions for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Question one, what is one skill you don't possess, but wish you did? Well, I've given this one a little thought now that I know that you were going to ask it, or I assumed you were. And I think the big thing for me when I look at it as I, as I was sort of contemplating this is that I wish I had the ability to do more electrical work. Huh? So that might sound weird, but it's one of the things that I've just never been totally comfortable with. I'm, I'm fairly handy. Uh, I can do some plumbing. I could do, but I've just never really grasped the whole electrical side of things. And it's never been a, uh, a big thing. In fact, quite often just kind of gives me a little bit of a scare and there's always stuff around the store to be done. You know, you got to hang a light, you got to do some stuff, you, you know, there's a fan, there's some, some odds and sods uh, that come up that are electrically oriented. And I always, I mean, I'll get in there and do it sometimes, but ultimately it's not something I'm super comfortable with. So I just wish I was more oriented that way. I think for all those little tasks around the house and around the stores. I like that one. Haven't had that answer before, but I like it. Cool. All right. Question two, when is the last time you tried something for the first time? Pretty much every day, Chris, I am a change agent. Uh, you know, if you look at, if you ever kind of look at any of those personality profiles and stuff like that, mine oozes change agent. So I'm always trying different things. I travel different routes in my truck to get to the same place. Just, I go different places. I try different foods. So pretty much every single day I'm trying something new. Sometimes, you know, putting it back to the retail stores, maybe it's a different uh, angle on marketing or whatever the case. Yesterday I was riding my bike and I did a uh, Instagram live from my bike as I was traveling down my bike for our shoe store. And my wife who does most of our social was like, what was that? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I said, Hey, it's just something a little bit different, right? So yeah, I try new stuff all the time. Very cool. Okay. Last question. Yeah. It's a doozy. Okay. What is one thing most people agree with, but you do not? One thing most people agree with that I do not. Well, I think for me, when I look at, at this framework, it's, it's kind of an interesting question, but you know, I think a lot of people are yay sayers and typically I'm not a yay sayer. I'm okay with saying no. And a lot of people just have this because they don't want to disrupt or they don't want to cause friction or any of that sort of stuff. My feeling is that and I'm not saying that I never bypass the no, <laughs> sometimes I do, but ultimately I'm a little more okay. I think with saying no, a little more candid about the fact that it's okay to say no to stuff as opposed to always just sort of appeasing and appealing to those people to try and, you know, not hurt feelings and things like that. Because I think ultimately a lot of people feel that if you're just upfront about things that they appreciate that. So that's sort of, Maybe a little different take on what you normally what you normally get here, but that's sort of a, something that I was thinking about a little bit. I like it. I think saying no is a skill, so I'm with you there. Yeah. When we were offline, though, you, you had mentioned something when we were talking about a skill you don't possess but wish you did. Yeah. We were talking about patience a little bit. Yeah, we were. And I find it an interesting one because I actually hear this a lot from a lot of entrepreneurs, which is yep. they, they had more patience. Mm-hmm. However, what I often remind them is 
a lack of patience is one of the keys to their success, most likely, yeah. because entrepreneurs don't wait around for things to happen. They go make them happen. They're not sitting back and waiting. They're very decisive. They move on to the next and yeah. they don't really take this. Well, let's see what happens. Wait and see approach. That's not in the entrepreneurial DNA. They go make it happen. And, but I find it funny because I do talk to many entrepreneurs and many of them wish they had more patience. I think that comes from as they're dealing with getting into management of people and they're growing their business, they hear a lot that they don't have patience and there's this negative connotation with it. Mm -hmm. Yet, I think it's important to call out that this mentality where they don't sit around and wait and they move quickly and they make, and they don't dot every I and cross every T, mm -hmm. but they keep moving along and that's where progress happens is an important thing to consider. So I wanted to bring that back up since we were talking about that offline, because you had mentioned patience and I actually get I this did. from a lot of entrepreneurs. Yeah. I mean, I didn't want to bring it back up because you said you had talked about it a few times on the podcast, but, but yeah, I mean, we could talk all the time, uh, a long time about patience. And it's something that over the years I've wished I've had more of for sure. And I think as we I've been in business a long time now, Chris, different businesses, but been in business a long time all my life. And from that perspective, I look back at some of the stuff and there are definitely times where I said, you know, I should have been more patient here or I should have been more patient there and things would have gone better. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I wouldn't be where I am today if, if I wasn't able to pull the trigger to make things happen too. And, there you, you know, I can make a decision and just like that. But there are a few of them along the way where it's like, geez, you know, I just should have had a little more patience there. Yeah, I hear you. I want to bring us to the story, which is one of my favorite parts of the show. And I think this is an exciting one because you didn't come from a retail background mm -hmm. and you just decided to buy a retail business and then not only buy it, but grow it. Yeah. So what town and, pro and province are we going to in Canada? So I started in Fergus, Ontario, and then we opened a, uh, we bought another business in Waterloo, and then we opened another one in Mount Forest. So all three sort of in the southwestern area of Ontario. So, but this one specifically is Mount Forest, Ontario, Canada. Why don't you bring us to Mount Forest and tell us cool. how that, how that utopia ended up there? Yeah, we'll do. So. We started in Fergus, as, as I mentioned, that's the story I actually bought. I didn't start Utopia. I bought an existing store that was running and, you know, well run by the previous owners and they were retiring. So that's kind of how I got into it. We bought another one in Waterloo that we'll talk about maybe a bit later, but Mount Forest and Fergus stores are small town stores. And from that perspective, you know, we had so many uh, customers and clients coming down from north, like there's a sort of a main road that runs up north from Fergus through Mount Forest up to the northern parts of southwestern Ontario. And so there's a lot of people that travel that road. They go up and down, they go to the cottage, they're back to down to Hamilton and Toronto, and then they go to the cottage, they go to see the parents and back up and down. And all of these people that were traveling up and down would often stop at Shutopia Fergus. And they were like, man, I wish you guys had a store up north. I wish you guys had a store up north. And I mean, you're in, in that you know, setting up all that stuff with all the properties that you guys have. And you probably hear this a lot, but, but basically we were getting the, the call from our client base to go up North. And then we started, you know, this was early on. So we started get, we had a point of sale system and we're starting to collect some postal codes and things like that. And it's like, you know, wow, we really do have a lot of clients from up in that area. So we started fishing around looking for uh, spots and things like that. I looked at two or three different towns and, and then what I did was 
I solicited my vendors and I asked, as with most businesses in, in footwear and probably in a lot of a lot of the retail that you deal with, Chris, and the people listening to the show, you probably have five or six what I call key vendors. And those key vendors probably generate, you know, 75, 80% of your business. And from that perspective, I called in, I think it was around eight or 10 of my vendors one day. And I asked them to come in for a lunch and I, I hosted them in a in a boardroom, basically. And these are all vendors of my my key brands, essentially, pulling them together. And then I prepared slide decks and stuff like that on the three or four different locations that I was looking at. And what I was looking for is I was looking for their opinion on where their brands needed help and where I they thought I could be best positioned. They know my stores. They knew about Utopia. They know about how we operate and they know about their brands. And so it was a little uncomfortable for them, I think, at, at the very beginning when they're like, well, what do you mean you want us all to come together and stuff like that? And it's like, hey, listen, I just want to get a group of people around. I'm, I'm a collaborative kind of person. I want to get a group of people around the table so we can hash this out as to where it would be best for your brand to go where you need presence and where I can accommodate that as a store that has these different brands within it. So that was sort of an interesting conversation. And obviously the brands are out for themselves and they want to do what they need to do. But in footwear, it's a pretty small, it's a pretty small community. I mean, I know most of my independent retailers that are around me. So we didn't want to step on any toes and things like that. But at the same time, we wanted to open another store and get rolling. So that was sort of how we did it. And then we landed kind of on the top one or two. And then, of course, I made the choice to go to Mount Forest. And then we opened the store in Mount Forest. And it's just been, uh, that was six years ago. We celebrated our sixth anniversary during our third COVID closure of the last year and a half. We were closed for a grand total of about 20 weeks here in Ontario. So it's been a, uh, a bit ha- bit of a haul. We celebrated our 20th anniversary, even though only, I've only been there uh, 10 uh, in Fergus and our sixth anniversary in Mount Forest during COVID. So we couldn't do any sort of anniversary bashes or anything like that. But uh, at, the, at the same time, it's been it's been a good ride. I love being a retailer. Wow. That is a good ride. I want to unpack that a little bit from the beginning. Yeah, sure. So I think the first thing, you've been a buyer of businesses before, and you've done both where you bought steady eddy cash flow businesses, and then you bought the value add fixer upper businesses. I have. Right. So you've done both worlds. Mm-hmm. First question, which one do you like more? I like the ones where it's the cash flow is already there. I mean, <laughs> come on, let's be, let's be real. Well, some people like to like save something and yeah, but why would you not want to walk into a proven cash flow? Well, maybe you get a steal. I I'm sure. And, and that was, and when we talked, the fixer upper was the cleaning business, right? That's right. I bet so that it, was rewarding to take yeah. it from like nothing to 300 yeah. clients, right? Right. So we 10 times the client base and I mean, yeah. And I did get a great deal on it, but it was a lot of work. Yeah. So, I mean, there's trade-offs, right? And I think it depends on what season of life you're in. If you're willing to put in the time, if you're willing, and if, and whether or not you have the money in order to do, I mean, there's those trade-offs, time versus money, right? right? And I think those ones that, I mean, we started Mount Forest from scratch. That was a brand new build. That wasn't a bought store. I mean, that was a brand new build, but from those other ones, yeah. Refinishing business, I started from scratch. It was a franchise, but I mean, it was me building it and starting it. So I got trained by them, but outside of that, it was all me. And the, the uh, cleaning business had, you know, 30 clients, which was, you know, not very much. And then we, we built that one up and then 
going into Shootopia, the first store, it was one of the better st- independent retail stores in Ontario for footwear. I mean, it's a good store. And so I, I went in there saying, all right, you know, it's a good store and we can build upon that. It didn't have a web store. It didn't, you know, there was a few things that we could do, but we are in a small community. And from that perspective, there's only so many pairs that are going to go out in a small community as well, like from a retail storefront perspective. And we were sort of doing pretty good with that, you know, and from that perspective, it was just nice to come in there. And that, what that did, that cash flow allowed me to look at those other opportunities. Right. So, and I already had the systems in place. Like, um, yes, we had to t- tweak some systems when I took over, like they used a cash register. They didn't use a point of sale system. They, they literally used ledgers and stuff like that. No computerized stuff. So, I mean, we, we made the changes that we need to make in order to systematize and use some frameworks that are going to allow us to grow to two and three stores. So from that perspective, that's kind of how it went, Chris. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And when you bought Shootopia, were you looking for a shoe store, a retail store, or just a cash flowing business? What what were you looking for? That time? Well, tell you a little backstory now, I guess. Uh, So So I was working as a business broker, helping people buy and sell businesses. And I was living in Ottawa at the time. And I, you know, it's just like you do with your clients. Somebody says, I need 10,000 square feet. It's got to be laid out in this sort of way and that sort of stuff. You know, when you're working with your clients, trying to fit them up with retail space, I did the same as a, as a realtor, you know, and a business broker. So this person had so much money to spend. They wanted to make so much money. They had a couple of different ideas, what they wanted to do for business. So I'm laying it all out and I did my homework, you know, I've got all the numbers I got and selling a business is a big package. You know, it's like, it's not just, here's the house, take a walk through. It's, you know, there's a lot of work in behind it. So I'd done a lot of work and presented it to him and everything lined up except the one thing. It was five and a half hours away and in a little small town. And he was a city guy and he's like, there's no way I'm going to get my wife and family to move to some little town in Southwestern Ontario. So I basically said, you know what? We will. (laughs) because it added up and we were small town people. And at that time I had exited those, those other two businesses we talked about and I was working as a realtor, but looking sort of for other things. And it was, this is the sort of that depression time of 2008, 2009, 2010. It's like, I'm not really sure what I'm going to get into. And this is just a really good business that survived that really quite easily and did well. And I'm like, Hmm, this sounds interesting. So we came up, I took a drive around, drove the five hours one day, went in the store. This is in the middle of January, went in the store, you know, not much happening, but uh, bought a pair of shoes, drove around the town. It was only the second time I've driven through that town before, but never have been there. And so I drove around the town a little bit, looked around, went back home the same day and talked to my wife that night. And I said, you know, I think this is good. And she said, well, let's go. So we hopped in the car again the next day and we drove up again, five, five and a half hours. And she bought a pair of boots and we drove around the town and kind of said, hey, can we see our picture, our family and everything living in this town? And we said, yeah. So the next day we we put a bid in on it. And that was in January. And I took over in April. I moved up, lived in a bed and breakfast for three months uh, while my family was, you know, my, we had three small kids while they were finishing uh, school. We wanted to make sure they finished their school year until the end of June where we lived. And then they followed in behind at the 1st of July. And we've been here since. So that's kind of how it happened. Amazing. Yeah. WLS Lighting Systems is a full service commercial lighting company focused on energy efficient lighting solutions for all types of exteriors 
interior, and specialty lighting projects. WLS works with you from design and site audits through post-installation on everything from LED upgrades or existing properties to new construction projects. Their goal is to provide you with the finest controls and lighting solutions to meet your design and budgetary needs. In 2010, WLS developed NetLink Controls, the first site lighting wireless control system for the shopping center industry. With over 100 manufacturing partners and thousands of completed projects across the country, WLS knows the importance of staying on budget, which meets or exceeds expectations. WLS Lighting Systems provides the utmost value in design and product choices that are sustainable, aesthetically pleasing, and enhances value in your property. Learn more at WLSLighting.com. And it was doing well because you decided to open up the second location in Mount right. Forest. And that was a good story you told. And I, I want to unpack something that I haven't heard many entrepreneurs, retailers, small business owners do on a local level. I've heard of this on national level, but one of the things and ideas you had when you were scouting location, you had zip codes and you heard that Mount, you know, from customers that Mount Forest might be a place to be. But right. what you did was you got your vendors, yeah. the salesmen that were that were selling you the brands. Right. And you got them in a room and said, here's where I'm thinking about going. And you mentioned that they were trusted advisors, but why did you think that was a good idea? Why that was going to be helpful market intelligence? Well, for me, my brands are my retail partners. And there are a few that I question sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit. And actually, one or two of my big ones I question sometimes, but for the most part, uh, I really look at my brands as trusted partners in my business. So I go to them when I need certain things. They and I, I expect them to come to me if they have questions. You know, if they have issues around their brand and the representation that we're doing for them within the brick and mortar stores that we have. So you know, I think that flow of information back and forth is very good. It's healthy. It shows a respect and a trust both ways. So that when you do need something, you can ask them. And that's what we did. You know, I, I asked them and I just wanted to be sort of upfront and say, hey, listen, I'm thinking about going here, here and here. What do you guys think? And do you think it's going to be good for your brand? And do you think I have a good opportunity here? They are on the road all the time. I mean, at least pre-COVID they were, but they're always out traveling around to the different stores or going to the different markets. They're doing product knowledge sessions with the different people and all this other stuff and showing their wares. And it's like, a lot of them have been in the industry for a really long time too. And they know where maybe in the past 10 years ago, somebody did really well, but they retired and closed the store or something like that. And the market's been left untouched really. So a lot of those kind of things, you can just pull up so much great information if you are open about stuff. And I think that's a big thing, just being open about it. Yeah. One of the things I liked that you touched on was the brands know where their customers are and For where sure. people are loyal to them. So they could give you insights in like, yes, this is a Merrill customer. This is a Birkenstock customer. Mm -hmm. We're short market share here. And we, uh, we're, we're selling a lot here. I don't know that we have any more market penetration. And that was interesting insights, I thought, to help you decide on which market was the right market for you. 
it was really good. And, you know, I did the same sort of thing on my client base too. I mean, one of the things we have a fairly substantial email list. So I sent out an email list and, and to my email list. And I said, you know, if we were to open another store, what do you guys think? So I solicited our clients' advice and I, I left a bunch of open areas so that they could tell me what they wanted in a new store and all this sort of stuff. And we got some great feedback there too. So always looking for good feedback for sure. Excellent. I probably should have started with this, but tell us a little bit more about Shootopia. What type of shoe store is this? Well, Shootopia really is a comfort shoe store to be, um, like you said, we sell Merrill, we sell Keen, we sell New Balance, we sell Birkenstocks and Blundstones. Essentially, uh, we are Canadian, so we do have the two stores and we have a web store. So we only ship in Canada. We don't ship down to the States because of duties and brokerage and all that sort of stuff. But I like to say our sort of our slogan behind the cash register set says we want to help our customers look great and feel fantastic. And if I can do that with every sort of sale or my team can do that, then that's really awesome. And I, I kind of narrow it down, Chris, to nine letters. And those nine letters are ooh, ah, and aha. And if I can get the person looking in the mirror when they try that shoe on, they look in the mirror and they're going, Ooh, I look pretty good. You know, it's like, hmm, yeah, those are cool. <laughs> and if I can get them standing there and kind of closing their eyes and they're going, those feel great, then that's awesome. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to deliver. And then the next one is the aha. And the aha is really, I can't believe it. I've actually found a shoe that looks good and feels good. Most people say, if I have a shoe that looks good, it's never going to feel good. And if I have a shoe that feels good, it's probably not going to look good. Well, we're trying to deliver that package. So if I can put that package all together in those nine letters of ooh, ah, and aha, then I think we've done our job. And as they walk out to the car, you know, I want them to look back at the store because we're an open air mall, just like I know a lot of your properties are in open air malls as well. So when they're walking out, I kind of want them to look back and look up at Utopia and say, you know what? That's my favorite shoe store. And if we can deliver that kind of experience to our customers, then I think we've done the job. That's great. I love that. Nine letters. Yeah. Ooh, ah, and aha. That's it. Excellent. Simplify it. That's the whole idea, right? Simplify it. Simplifying entrepreneurship. That's you got to try and simplify these little, these little packages down so that you can explain them. So we went through how you got the business, we went through how you opened the Mount Forest location, went through a little bit about what Shootopia is. Walk me through how was 20 weeks closed is tough. How's this last 18 months been, man? It's been tough. You know, it's been tough. And, you know, we've had three separate closures sort of between six and eight weeks each time and spread out. You know, we're open for two months, closed for two months, open for two months, closed for six weeks. So these kind of things, every time you rehire your team, then you're letting them go again. You know, this kind of stuff, it's just been a conundrum is probably a good word. And from that perspective, it's it's been trying. Uh, at times, but you know what? We've come out stronger on the back end of things. And if we can continue to stay open, some of the systems and processes and things that we've put in place, Chris, you know, we just had our, our quarterly manager meeting um, a week or so ago. And it's like talking to my management team. We are stronger now than we were before. And I think that's a really, I give that really to my management team and saying, we've come up with some really awesome systems. We've made some changes that I think are going to be uh, long lasting and to the benefit of not only our internal team, but to our customers and our client base. So 
just a lot of really good things. So I'm, I'm excited about what's, what's ahead. And I'm, I'm one of those people that it's like the past is the past. We were close. We're not close anymore. So let's take it now and move ahead. So that's kind of how I look at things. So providing we can stay open, I think we're in a good position to move, move that ball forward. Good luck on that. I hope so too. I think so. Yeah, thanks. And thanks, man. Yeah. Good luck. You mentioned you made some changes. What are some of the changes you made to the store or the business? Well, one of the big ones was, you know, especially during our closing times, was uh, the focus on our web store. We've never really, we've had a web store for years and years, and it's always just been a sort of what I considered a live flyer. So people would sit at home, sitting on their couch, watching, you know, the latest episode of, of uh, whatever their favorite sitcom is. Flipping through the Shootopia, uh, Shootopia.ca and seeing what's new, what new Burks came in, that sort of stuff and saying, ultimately, shoes are still a try on type thing. Most people really want to try them on. It's a fitting thing for a lot of people there. Yes, do people buy online? Sure, we sell online all the time. But there's still, especially with our type of stuff, because like I said, ours is a comfort-based store. People want to get in and feel that comfort. They want to feel it on their foot because it's going to be their everyday shoe. So when you know, it's the kind of shoes that we sell aren't six-inch stilettos for the party. They're the New Balance shoes that sit at your back door every day when you're going to go to walk the dog, or they're the they're the slippers. You know, I'm wearing a pair of Mephisto sandals in my house right now when we're having this interview. It's like it's the sandal that you're going to wear every day. That. Birkenstock or that Keen or whatever the case is. So from that perspective, we really spent a lot of time understanding our web store. We, uh, we've had Shopify as our web store provider now for the last couple of years, and they changed the way they do their stuff with their point of sale system. So we actually got rid of our previous point of sale system and moved to Shopify. So now everything's housed within the one. And we did that wow. during one of our closures. We had planned on doing that sort of next January in our slow time, but because we were closed, we bumped that ahead much to the chagrin of my of Brock who works with me doing all that stuff. He's like, are you kidding me? We're going to do this now. <laughs> but after it's been done, it's really helped us in our processes. It's it's eliminated a lot of duplication. It's made our shipping processes easier. It's made our transfer processes easier between the stores. So it's really helped us a lot of a lot of the time. You know, so that technology end of things has really benefited during uh, this period of time. I think we've worked on a bunch of different things like that uh, just to make our offering better to our customers, our clients. You know changed around the stores, done some different things to make it look new for them. Keep progressing forward and good things happen. So yeah, for sure. So now you have three stores. You have Fergus, Mount Forest, and the web. Yeah. How big has the web gotten compared to the other two stores? So right now the web is probably around 10% of our business. And prior to COVID, it would be less than 1%. Wow. So just to put it in perspective, we're local stores, Chris. I mean, we talked about this before. We're really community oriented. We're really involved in the two towns that we work in and, and live in. And, you know, we, we're helping the charities to build the wing on the on the hospital. We're helping the hockey teams and we're involved. We sent out $20 gift certificates to all of the teachers that were going through all this COVID, $20 gift certificates to all of the uh, hospital workers and healthcare workers. And we sent $20 gift certificates even across the store to all the people when everything was closed, except for the grocery stores, all those grocery stores were being run ragged. So we sent $20 gift certificates to the entire 
grocery store across the street from us and said, Hey, listen, guys, if you need a new pair of shoes or whatever the case is, we're here to help you. We weren't open. They couldn't come in and try them on, but we were open curbside and on online and all that sort of stuff. We always want to be helping our community and working with our community. So from that perspective, when we were closed to take it back to the web store, you know, most people at shop web stores are really just looking for a specific product at the cheapest price. And I get that. I totally understand it. But when we were closed, our local clients shopped on our web store because they wanted to do business locally. And I love that about being a small town retailer. It's just, it's a really good feeling. You know, we, we see, yeah, sure. Were we shipping stuff out West, you know, to British Columbia or East to, to Nova Scotia, or even down to Toronto an hour away or to Ottawa five hours away? Sure we were. But 80% of the business during our closures that was done online was our existing clientele that wanted to support us, knowing that we were closed and knowing that we had what they needed. So that was just a really awesome feeling. So since we've been reopened here in the last couple of months, our web store business has come back down a little bit because they're able to come in the store, but we're still doing all that other stuff across Canada as well. And that's growing way more than what it was pre-COVID. So that's another big piece of of the pie that we never had prior to COVID. That's excellent. The power of community, especially yeah. for local businesses, is, yeah. is almost unquantifiable. It's so massive. So yeah. one last thing that we didn't talk about that I'm curious about the shoe business today, how's getting product? We keep hearing this supply chain logistics. How's, how's getting product for you? Well, there's one word, dreadful. <laughs> it's a real problem. I mean, it's not only a problem for footwear, it's a problem for the bike shop down the road. It's a problem for the, I mean, take a look at your local auto dealership. The parking lots are empty, right? Sure. They can't get product. So it affects us all. It affects the plumbing store. It affects the, it affects every retailer. So what are we doing? We're chasing. We're chasing as much as we can. I mean, I just finished my last trade show of the year. Here we are, August 31st, when we're recording this. And my last trade show was this past weekend. And that's for next spring and summer. So we order our stuff, you know, six, eight months in advance. And the stuff that I ordered six, eight months in advance prior to get this fall are all most of that stuff's already two to three months late. Wow. Well, if I get my fall shoes and boots in December, when the snow's flying, I'm never going to sell any of them. And if I don't get my winter boots until next March, I'm never going to sell any of them. So it's a real problem because I mean, sure, I can hold on to them for another year and you bankroll them for a year and you put them in storage and all this other stuff and bring them out the following year. You don't have to buy them the following year, but how do you make your numbers now? I mean, you're a landlord. You, we have to pay our rent. We have to pay our team. We have to pay our expenses along the way. And if you don't have the product to sell, then it's pretty hard to make those nuts. And I mean, part of what I do with simplifying entrepreneurship, and we talked about this a little bit too, is the four Ps. You have to have the right product, the right process, the right people, so you can make the right profit. But if you don't have the right product, or you can't actually get the product, the rest of the stuff in behind, it's pretty hard because you don't have the cash flow. So it's a big concern. It's a big concern. And we're doing our best to chase whatever we can chase that's in stock right now so that we'll have something to sell. And yes, brands are, I mean, it's not like everybody's not shipping for three months, but a lot of this course, what, what I consider my core stuff is going to be late. And it's not only going to be late for me, it's going to be late for everybody, which in a, in a way for me, doesn't make it sound like I did a poor job of, of buying, you know, our team did a poor job of buying because they won't be able to find it anywhere. It's not going to be available. But at the same time, you know, if that doesn't help, you still need to make your numbers. All that said, yeah, still going to be better than being closed, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's anything's better than being closed. Will you be ahead of 19? 
no, we won't be ahead of 19. We were closed until basically the end of May. We had our best ever June. We had our best ever July because uh, there was so much pent up demand for have, having been closed for April and May. Incredible. So that was great. August has slowed off a little bit, but based on what we're seeing as far as the futures of what stock we're going to be able to get in over the next three months, I can't see how we'd possibly have our best ever or even get to 19 numbers because I just don't think we're going to have the stock to do it. Okay. Yeah. If we had the stock, I think we'd be there because there's there's pent up demand because we were closed last fall too. So there's pent up demand for all the fall stuff. I just don't think we're actually going to have enough to, to make those numbers come to reality. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, listen, overall, a good story. You made it Thanks. through the recession, yeah. made it oh, yeah. COVID. Yep. You have a second location. You've made some good process changes, some tech changes. You got your customers back. You grew your online store. Good story overall. Really. Yeah. Exciting. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. I know you have this other business, Simplifying Entrepreneurship. I do. Anything you want to add on that front? Well, like I said, you know, I think from that side of things, with Simplifying Entrepreneurship, I just love, I love talking business. I love having this conversation we're having today, Chris. And, you know, I love getting into the nuts and bolts of stuff. And that's why I sort of was a business broker for a while, helping people out with that sort of thing too. But what I do there is I really, you know, starting off, I had mentioned we help transform their worries and wants into wins. So transforming, you know, being an entrepreneur, being a business leader, being a business owner, sometimes overwhelming. It's, you get in business because you want to have a better life. And if all you're doing is working 70, 80 hours a week just to grind it out, then that's not actually giving you the better life. And that's so when I work with most of the entrepreneurs that I work with, it's about, hey, what do you really want out of your life so that we can start turning your business into a system to deliver that to you? And that's, again, getting through those, those four Ps that I, that I mentioned a little bit earlier having the right product, the right process. And that's one that really stumbles a lot of entrepreneurs. The right people is a big one, probably the biggest. Having the right people and actually allowing them to have the accountabilities to move things ahead. What was that, Chris? I said, sure. Yeah. The people piece right now is tough. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a problem. You know, it's a problem here in Canada. It's a problem. I know in the States, I, I coach a lot of people in the States and talk to a lot of people in the States and it's a problem everywhere, finding the right people. But when you do have the right people, it's how are you treating them? Are they involved in the culture? Do they see advancement in your business? Do they, are they part of the accountability team? Do they, you know, they want to be a part of it. So, you know, once you have the pr right product, the right process, the right people, then you can enjoy the right profit. And what profit does is it can buy you some time back, right? Because there's four freedoms and Dan Sullivan, who's, who's one, was one of my coaches and one of the greatest, in my opinion, entrepreneurial coaches out there talks about four freedoms in life the, and the freedom of, uh, now I'm, I might not remember them all, but it definitely is the freedom of relationship. So once you're at, at that entrepreneur, you can choose who you want to be with because you're an entrepreneur. You can you know choose your relationships, both personally and professionally. You can choose your purpose. You can choose, like, you can choose that mission. And that's one of the things around people, too, I think, Chris, is, you know, if they buy into your culture and they buy into your mission and they know your mission and you're telling them the mission that, and they buy into that, then they're going to want to rally around that and be part of that. And so many entrepreneurs don't even tell their team what their business is about. They just, oh, yeah, we sell shoes or whatever, sure. you know. Uh, so lots of different things around there. You want your time back. 
And there's only so many hours in the day. Another great person that I love, his name is Dean Jackson. And he says, there's only 24 hours in a day. You can't buy more and you can't use less. 24 hours in a day, you can't buy more and you can't use less. But what profit will do is it will allow you to buy somebody else's time so that you can give them the accountability so that you can free up some of yours. And I think that's an interesting way to look at it because so many entrepreneurs are overrun, overworked, tired, frustrated, all this other stuff. And you don't necessarily have to be. If you have these four things, these four Ps in right order, it allows you to take those worries and it allows you to take the wants that you want to have out of your life and put them together and build that system. So that's generally what I do with simplifying entrepreneurship is help people through that. Fantastic. Sounds great, man. Cool. I want to take us to the last part of the show called Retail Wisdom. All right. I got three questions for you. You ready? Yeah, man. All right, here we go. Question one, what extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? Well, I had a favorite retail store when I was young and I grew up in Ottawa and it was Towers and Towers has been gone a really long time and it was taken over by Zellers. And then when Target moved into Canada uh, for a very short period of time, they bought out all the Zellers stores and moved into, in, into the Zellers store. So it's, it's, it's a couple of iterations ago and about 40 years ago. But I remember walking from my house in Ottawa up to the Tower store. You know, I'd be able to get my hockey cards or get my, you know, bit of candy or bike up with my buddies. And it was in, at the time it was a mall, but really the mall was uh, Towers and the grocery store and, you know, the barber. And that was the whole mall basically. But uh, this Tower store had, you know, it just had, it was sort of open and white and bright and kind of, I guess, like a small time uh, Walmart or whatever. But I remember walking through those aisles and going, wow, would I ever like that? And this is so cool. And I tell, I'd come home and I'd be like to my mom, you know, I really want to get this. And I'm going to, at the time I was working, I always worked and, and cut lawns and all sorts of different stuff. And I'm like, I'm going to save up for my first ghetto blaster. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that was all at Towers. And so that was, uh, that was sort of my old, retail one that I would have would have liked to, I mean, if I walked through it today, I'd probably be disappointed, but back then it was pretty exciting. And oh, that's a great one. No one said that before. So I appreciate the answer. Cool. Question two. Yeah. What is the last item over $20 you bought in a store? That's absolutely steak and pellets for my pellet grill. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm a big barbecuer, love the pellet grill and uh, love to love to smoke stuff and all that sort of thing. So it was out the other day, bought a couple of bags of pellets and some nice steak to have for supper. So love that. Terrific. Mm -hmm. Last question. I know they're not there anymore, but the question is, Peter, if you and I were shopping at Target and I lost you, what aisle would I find you in? I'd probably be in hardware, I think, uh, Chris, probably be looking at the power tools and, you know, I, I mean, as many power, I, because I used to be in the trades and stuff like that, I always have this, this sort of thing to walk around hardware stores and, you know, all sorts of things. And it's like, ah, look at that. I mean, you got a 20 volt battery on that. When I was doing that, there were 12 volts and you had to charge them all the time. I'm looking for the upgrades. I want to see the right. hammer drills. I want to look at all those different things. So yeah, you'd find me in the hardware department for sure. Well, this is fantastic. I really appreciate it. That's a great answer. Thank you so much for coming on. And next time I'm in the uh, Toronto area, I got to stop by the store. I'd love to have you. I'd love to have you. Thank you so much. Make it a great day, Chris. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, 
please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.